And the word of the Lord came again to Zechariah. This is what the Lord Almighty said. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. Zechariah 7, 8 through 10. Country, a Berenstain Bearcast. I am your host, Phil Gonzalez, and we're going to do things a little different this episode. Uh, we are again covering a Berenstain Bears Gifts of the Spirit book, a random house publication by Mike Berenstain based on the characters created by his parents, Stan and Jan Berenstain. We've already done three of these Gifts of the Spirit books, but I'm going to turn the episode on its head a little bit. Now, what I've been doing is examining the biblical quote from the beginning of each book and then covering the plot of the book and sort of showing how one applies to the other. This book is interesting because the quote in the beginning, when applied, when you do a read on the book using the quote as a lens, it actually changes, I won't say changes the meaning of the book, but it it adds several layers of meaning to the book, if if read through that lens, in, in such an interesting way that I actually want to cover what the book is about first and then explore the context behind the quote. Now, full context of the quote isn't going to help much, but it does help to have a bit of a bit more context than is applied in the beginning of the book. What are we even talking about? We are talking about 2022's The Berenstain Bears Gifts of the Spirit Fair is fair. Is it? We'll find out. Now, you might be wondering if you've just jumped into these, why are you on 2022? You are not anywhere near 2022 in the grand scheme of things. It's because these are the new Gifts of the Spirit books that Mike has been putting out for the last couple of years. They are beautiful hardback editions. They are beautifully illustrated, and they have wonderful religious stories that rival uh, probably anything I won't say rival plot-wise what we were finding in The Living Lights. Remember that Mike's no longer with Zondervan anymore. He's no longer working on The Living Lights books. Uh, This is a whole new series with Random House. These are books that Mike has said reflect more and more honestly like his approach, what he wants to do when he approaches religious books. Uh, and I can there's there is a definite change in tone, in I believe quality, in application. In these stories, they're a bit more simple, but they're also more complex because of their simplicity. And they don't feel it doesn't feel like Mike is under pressure to conform to the way the publisher wants the religious book structured. Uh, this is just a long way of saying they're so interesting that I had to jump in and cover the the seven that have been released so far. There's more coming out this year, and I'm sure more in the future. But uh, if so, if you if that was a question in your mind, wondering what I'm doing, that's the explanation. I explained it several episodes ago. But in case you're dipping in. Berenstain Bears Gifts to the Spirit. Fair is fair. We get introduced to a new character in this book. Uh, We get a little bit of character development amongst our cubs. We don't meet any adults. This is a story completely handled by the children. Fair is fair. So what is this book about? This book, it's a simple-ish plot where the cubs, uh, brother and sister, along with Honey Bear, 
are enjoying a day at the playground. There's a bunch of cubs there, a lot of older siblings and their younger siblings. Uh, that's the way cubs are in bear country. You don't see any parents at the playground. You never see parents, now that I think about it, at a bear country playground, or at least a bear town playground. Uh, we've seen playgrounds quite a bit. Usually it's within the context of a, of a school day, so that makes sense. But even on the days when there's it's just cubs hanging out at the playground, it is just cubs. And I think about I'm contrasting that with my experience with playgrounds as an adult, which is usually children there with parents, and my experience with playgrounds as a child, which was entirely children, you could view that as a shift in parenting styles. Parents are more uh, more uh, hovering, as as they say. They're, they're more involved, maybe, if you want to look at it from that perspective. I think what it might have to do, though, is... Uh, the school systems in our neighborhood are completely different than they were when I grew up. And I believe in a lot of situations, a lot of locations in the United States, uh, you used to be limited to the school in your area. Like you would, if you lived on a street in a town, that street designated exactly where you went to school. There was no other option. These days, uh, school districts tend to have more options as to where a child can attend. I know that in our city, in Minneapolis, there are far, you have a, uh, like you have, you have a list of schools, you have your main school, but then there's several other options. And then there's some schools that you can get on a list for. Children are more likely to go to school and make friends with children outside of their immediate geographical area. So you might be seeing, I might be seeing, more parents taking kids to playgrounds because there simply aren't, their friends simply don't live near them. So there's not a whole lot of, we're just going to go to the playground. Now, that's not entirely always the case. I do see roving bands of children in the neighborhood. So I don't want it to seem like this is an, like, this dystopian, like... Uh, nightmare landscape of, of isolated children. That's not what's going on here. Uh, I went off on a tangent, but, I, but because Beartown is reflecting a, a, a structure that we don't always see these days, which is children who all live near each other, who are all friends with each other, who all attend the same school, who all send, attend the same church. Uh, but we do see a bunch of cubs who are not familiar cubs. It's just, it's random cubs, small cubs and older cubs, uh, honey aged cubs. And I mean, not like they're not honey aged. They're not like put in a bottle of honey and aged that way. They are the same age as honey bear, the younger sibling of, of brother and sister, uh, brother and sister age cubs. And that in that spectrum, but who should show up? But Too Tall Grizzly, we haven't really seen Too Tall much uh, recently, but Too Tall shows up and he is accompanied by his little cousin, a new cub, at least as far as I know, who we've never met, at least as far as this show, uh, named Too Small. Do you get it? So Too Tall is so called because he is literally too tall. His bones cannot support the weight of his height. He is 11 feet tall. Uh, it is. It is biologically untenable for him to continue to exist. Too small is is so small that he cannot breach the surface tension of a drop of water. The molecules of water interact differently with too small than they do with a normal sized entity. He uh, he he is now at a size where the air itself functions more as a liquid than it does as a gas. 
the, the molecules of air interact. I'm kidding, of course. Too tall is just he's a tall cub and too small is short. That's that's it. But too tall and or too small is short. Too tall is a bully, as we know. And too small uh, is also a bully. And he has learned to be a bully by his cousin, Too Tall Grizzly. And together they are a formidable pair. So what happens is Too Tall brings Too Small to the playground. Too Small has learned from Too Tall how to behave and begins roughhousing and shoving his way through the playground, butting his way into line, using the slide before anyone else, knocking cubs off of the other rides, the swings, the roundabout, the seesaw. And eventually, the other cubs get so fed up. And I notice that it's the older cubs who get fed up. The younger cubs seem just more of confused and and uh, irritated by the presence of Too Small. The older cubs are infuriated by the presence of this cub. Too Tall Grizzly refuses to do anything about it. Clearly, he's taught his cousin to behave this way. The cubs demand he do something to rein in his, his, his charge. And he says, I guess he's just a chip off the old block. Huh? Huh? Don't you love it? It's like having more of me. The older cubs grab the younger cubs and are like, we're leaving. Now, this is the turning point in the story because Too Small sees the cubs leaving and throws a tantrum. He he demands the cubs come back. He tells his older cousin to bring them back. He wants cubs to play with, which is interesting because he doesn't seem to actually be playing with these cubs. He's simply pushing them around and demanding they leave him alone, get out of his way. Uh, he's very young. I have to say, he's probably a little older than Honey Bear, but he might still be at that age where interaction between children isn't the way, isn't like, it's kind of like being too small to properly interact with air molecules. Uh, when you are too young, the way you socially interact is nothing like the way you socially interact when you're when you're even like a year older. Uh, uh, interactions between children often happen in, as they say, in parallel to each other. They aren't, they don't play necessarily together, they play by one another, uh, and that is that is early social interaction. I mean, it's not the earliest social interaction. The babies are a whole other story. It's like they're like insects, their brains. But uh, young children will will frequently uh, simply be surrounded by other children as they seemingly do their own thing. But what's happening is actually happening uh, internally. They are they are learning social dynamics. They're learning social cues uh, simply by by being near other children. And I believe that's where two small is more or less right now he's kind of edging his way out of that age into full social interaction but he's off to a bad start so the other cubs are not taken in by his by his caterwauling but too tall is because too tall does not want to hear a whining child and so he runs after the cubs and he's like come back come back my little cousin's upset please come play with him and they're like absolutely not he's 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 terrible he, he hasn't learned how to play fair he hasn't learned how to be a a polite, you know, good cub. I won't say good cub. He hasn't learned how to, he hasn't learned the social graces necessary to make friends. And Too Tall openly admits, he's like, well, you guys are a bunch of religious goody two-shoes. And I do like that Too Tall sets himself apart from the rest of our, our gifts of the spirit children. He's not saying like, I'm not a very good Christian. He's just like, you guys know what goodness is, leading me to believe Too Tall probably the devil. So, he's like you guys are you guys are smart on all this goodiness stuff. You guys know where all the good the good feelings are at. You teach my cousin. Shockingly, brother and sister pull too small aside and explain to him that if he keeps behaving like this, he's not going to have any friends. That patience and kindness, generosity of spirit are necessary features 
in a well-rounded child in order to not only attract, but also retain uh, companionship and friendship. And I like that it's a, it's, I actually like that they're, that they, they appeal to him in a transactional sense, because what he wants is companionship. He wants friendship. He doesn't even necessarily want to play with these kids so much as have them around. He wants to feel a part of this community and doesn't know how to do it. The only example he's had is his terrible cousin. So it takes children with more social graces than Too Tall to educate him. Now, props to Too Tall as well for admitting his limitations. That's a sign of maturity. And asking for help, another sign of maturity, uh, from community experts. Uh, not unlike brother and sister uh, going to actual factual when they have a science question, going to Ferdy factual when they have a uh, nerd question, I don't know, a nerd question, going to uh, cousin Fred when they have a I'm just I'm just looking at the nerds here. Going to Queenie McBear maybe when they have a uh, relationships question? I don't know. In any case, they go to Too Tall goes to them with social graces, with questions of fairness, not questions of religion. I am going to point out in a minute the fact that there are no religious references in this entire book. Uh, I'm just going to point it out right now. There's no religious references in this entire book except for the quote at the beginning. Uh, and lo and behold, the Cubs get through to too small. He's young. He's impressionable. He's not set in his way. He's not too tall. Uh, he learns to say please, thank you, learns to not push and shove, begins practicing what they've taught him. It's not easy, but he, he begins practicing it. Slowly, the other Cubs start warming up to him. And before you know it, he is surrounded by kids his own age. He's not the, he's not the, the, the bell of the ball. He is simply another kid playing on the playground. Like he wanted, he is now becoming an integrated member of this community, which is what the Berenstain Bears are about. Not conforming, as some people like to say. Not becoming a Stepford Wife-esque uh, goody two-shoes, as some people like to frame the Berenstain Bears books as. However, unfairly is fa unfairly. Uh, but more simply integrated into the community, by which I mean uh, a contributing a contributing a compassionate, a giving, and a functioning member of the community. Something anybody can be. Because by functioning members of the community, we mean someone who is able to uh, uh, learn, uh, who is able to listen, who is able to give other people their space, who is able to ask for help, who is able to accept help, who is able to offer help. Like th that's, that's the thing. And no one needs to be able to do all this in bear country. Everyone has their limits, uh, just like in real life. Some people are incapable of asking for help. That's fine. Some people are, are capable of offering help and that's how you bridge the gap. Uh, some people don't have uh, the ability to pick up on social cues. Therefore, it is up to other people to step in and point out social cues, uh, explain themselves better. If you are a person who, say, doesn't pick up on on sarcasm, if you are a person who doesn't um, understand when people don't express their true emotions and say they're fine when they're not, uh, then it might benefit you to have someone say, when this person says this, what they mean is this. Like, it's that kind of thing. A functioning community is not a bunch of people who are all in lockstep with each other. It's a bunch of people of different talents and abilities who are able to complement one another, offer their help when needed, and ask for help when 
needed. I, this is not me on a soapbox. This is just me trying to put the puzzle of this book together. And what's amazing at the end of this book is that Too Small is now overly polite. He is not unlike, actually, brother and sister in the Berenstain Bears Forget Their Manners, which is, uh, I, I think, a great book because it illustrates the the uh, how you're how if you behave a certain way, you become the thing you are acting like, uh, which is usually shown in a negative light. But in Forget Their Manners, it's shown in a positive light where the the cubs begin if you, I don't if you don't remember they're so rude uh, that they just and their their parents are constantly demanding they have better manners that brother and sister decide to overdo it overindulge in good manners to an obnoxious degree but what happens is they become so they become so used to behaving obnoxiously polite that eventually they just become polite they just become polite kids uh, well mannered and the obnoxiousness is worn off, and it, what you're left with is just a, a kid who has taught themselves, uh, put themselves into the habit of good manners, and that's what is happening. I see with too small. He is he's overdoing it a little bit, but that's fine because he will cool off after a while. But too tall doesn't know how to respond to this. Uh, uh, at the very end of the book, uh, they're all leaving the playground. It's the end of the day. All the cubs are getting ready to go home, and uh, it says as the cubs left the playground and headed home, little too small stood to one side. After you, cousin dear, he told Too Tall. Too Tall was confused. Uh, how sweet, replied Too Tall. Uh, thank you? Question mark. Brother, sister, and honey shook their heads. They didn't think old Too Tall would ever get the hang of it. And that, of course, brings back brings me back to the point I was making earlier, which is uh, not everyone is going to be able to live up to the same standard you've set for yourself. Uh, and that's not a negative thing. That's simply that you have your own values and your own standards. And two other other people may not have that ability. Other people may not have that desire. Other people may not hold those values. What they may, what they, what they might be able to do though, is admit that that's not part of their value system. That's not within their abilities, but still give you the space you need to practice those values, to, to, to exercise those abilities, acknowledge their shortcomings and get on with life. Tutal is approaching that aspect of bullying. He's like, you know what? I'm never going to be a good at like this kind of stuff. I'm just not. I'm too old. I'm too tall. I'm so big that my muscles uh, can't, can't, I can't feel my circulatory system has trouble. My heart isn't strong enough to pump the blood from my feet. So I have a lot of circulatory problems, have to wear special uh, braces, but also my nerves, my nervous system can't function well at the extremities. I tend to go numb. It's dangerous. Because if I get injured in one of my extremities, I may not know it. I am too tall. I'm kidding, of course. He is simply a very tall cub. Uh, what was I saying? Too tall. So he understand. He acknowledges functional community, bear country. Not perfect. Functional. Now, that's the story of the Berenstain Bears. Gives to the spirit. Fair is fair. I enjoy it. I love the character of Too Small. He's tiny. Uh, it's a colorful book, like all the gifts of the spirit. It's a nice hardback, got a nice green spine, uh, and you get to see some angry cub faces. You get to see cubs. You know me. I love it when Mike draws the cubs looking mad, and these cubs get mad, and he, he has an ability to draw the cubs, not just looking angry, but just disgust, like done with it, like, ugh, too tall. Like, they have this look on their face with the sort of their mouths are hanging open, just like, it's not an I'm not angry, I'm disappointed face. It's an I'm not... I'm angry, but I'm just like, 
again, it's that face of just like, I can't believe this is still happening. We have, we have been putting up with this for almost 60 years, too tall. 60 years we've lived here. And still you push us off the swings. Now the cover does show what looks to be too tall bullying a cub. Uh, too small is clearly the cub. The, the perspective's a bit off because too tall is also in the foreground. And he's looking, too tall himself is looking a little, Mike has drawn too tall with this expression on his face that's like, this is, his little cousin is, is doing what I want him to do, but I'm not sure if it's working out for everyone. That's the look on his face. He's kind of like, eh, uh, it's not, worried so much as like getting to worried i don't know mike is mike is exercising his ability he's stretching his ability to draw cub expressions uh further than he ever has and i appreciate it mike if you ever listen to these episodes i don't know if you if you ever do keep keep going in that direction uh my challenge for you in a future book please draw a cub um looking like looking like Having the face that says, oh, I can't believe I just read this in this book, but I also really need to show my best. Like, this is uh, unsettling what I just read, but I really want to share it. So I'm going to actually take this to school and show my friends. Like, draw a cup with that face. Let them be reading something. Let them be reading something, like, unsettling. Like, I've been playing around a lot with the idea of how would the Necronomicon fare in Bear Country. It's a whole, like headcanon thing where like uh, the Necronomicub exists in actual factuals museum which is kind of bear town's version of miskatonic university like they don't have miskatonic university but they have uh, the bearsonian uh, but he has a forbidden wing where you, the events of uh, certain lovecraftian tales would take place also mount grizzly i have this whole I, never mind in any case uh, as if a cub was reading the bear world's version of the Necronomicon. And it's just like, I don't like what I'm reading, but I'm compelled to share. Draw that expression. It doesn't have to be within that context. Just draw that expression. Work it into a book. There has to be something a, a cub could read that's forbidden without, like, crossing a, crossing a line. Uh, maybe a forbidden instruction manual about uh, a dangerous machine. I don't know. You figure it. You're the writer. I'm, I'm just here. I'm just the 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 bear the bear country uh, commentator. Uh, but getting back to the book, the Berenstain Bears gives to the spirit fair is fair. There's a Bible quote that opens this book. Now the Bible quote that actually opens the book is simply "Show mercy and compassion to one another," and it's credited as Zechariah seven nine. It's not that's not seven nine though. Seven nine is this is what the Lord Almighty said: administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another, which changes the context of the quote. And I think it changes the context of the quote for the better. But first, a little bit about our friend and yours, Zechariah. Who was Zechariah? Well, you might learn a little bit about him in the old book of Zechariah. Um, the book of Zechariah is a book of the Hebrew prophet Ze Zechariah. Um, we don't really know who wrote the book of Zechariah. Uh, their scholarship, a lot of scholarship believes it's written by two separate authors. Um, some even go so far as to say three separate authors. But uh, it's basically divided into, into two or three sections, uh, chapters one through six, which are uh, the like eight visions uh, that were given to uh, Zechariah by God. And then chapters 7 through 14, or 7 and 8 and 9 through 14, depending on how you divide it up, um, 
which is which is future prophecy like uh the rebuilding of the temple uh there be there's some apocalyptic stuff in there not like scary apocalyptic more like uh, more like the Messiah is coming, get ready, the end of days is coming. A lot of Zechariah is used in uh, the Gospels and a lot of the books of the New Testament. Uh, a lot of it is Messianic prophecy. Like there's this guy and he's coming back. He's God's Messiah. Um, the kingdoms in the world will become the kingdom of the Messiah. Uh, but this is all like old Messiah prophecy. So this is still a lot of like king and stuff. This isn't like baby in a manger stuff. This is like we're going to have to fudge a few details when when Jesus comes kind of prophecy because this is these are older writings uh Zechariah we don't know much about him uh we believe that he lived I think what like the sixth sixth century BCE um uh, there's references to uh like things like contemporary events happening uh, in the first like chunk of the book of Zechariah, which which dates it like the fifth century, I think the fifth century BCE is is kind of around that the era. Um, Darius the Great, the kingdom of Darius the Great. You guys know Darius the Great. Um, the the second part of Zechariah though is a lot of the stuff that gets used in Isaiah, in Jeremiah, Ezekiel, uh, Deuteronomy. Um, that, a lot of that stuff. So what we're looking at here, Zechariah chapters, uh, chapter seven, chapter seven, nine, uh, I'm not going to get too much into what actually is happening because that doesn't really relate to what we're dealing with, but, uh, and, and, and trust me, you're going to be happy that I didn't get, I have so many notes here that I'm looking at. Like I was going to have to, I was about going to have to get into the way, like, like the Hebrew like calendar works and like I'm just the month like the month like, there's references to months and dates that only line up that don't line up with our count like they're it's an old count and never mind never mind I'm not going to explain how that lines up with the destruction of the temple I'm not going to line explain how that lines up with the celebration of uh, the modern celebration of Hanukkah not going to go into any of that if you look if you want to know more read the book or more likely read a bunch of different books because the actual books that the book of Zechariah doesn't really explain any of this. You sort of have to be in the know. In any case, um, the quote. So at this point, Zechariah is doing his prophecy. He's talking about stuff God has told him. And and uh, and we, we've learned that God has told him some stuff, which he's relayed to people, and they've ignored him. Or they, you know, they, they do it for a while, and then they forget about it. Or, you know, they, they fast for, for months, but then they were like, wait, you're not really, you're doing this for yourself. You're not really doing this for God. Like that kind of stuff. Like they're, they're, they're either not listening to him or they're doing stuff for the wrong reasons. And this part, he is saying that the Lord comes to Zechariah and says, administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. And then they, they, people ignore him. They refuse to pay attention. Stubbornly, they turned their back and covered their ears. That's what Zechariah is saying. They made their hearts as hard as flint, would not listen to the law or to the words that the Lord Almighty had sent by his spirit through the earlier prophets. So the Lord Almighty was very angry, scatters them to the whirlwind among all the nations. They're strangers. It's, it's, it, it goes on. That's not the point we're talking about here. I'm, I'm, I'm pairing it back a little bit because this isn't about biblical prophecy. This is about administering true justice. Uh, so Mike chose to only say, show mercy and compassion to one another, which is fair. Fair is fair. Um, in the context of the book, of course, um, he, God is calling on people to, in all dealings with people, show show mercy and compassion. Not just in general, 
but in the administration of, of the law, which means true justice isn't following the letter of the law, isn't doing everything of the law says, that law coming from God, coming from whoever. True justice is in mercy. True justice is in compassion, which is why he says, don't oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. The reason that for that being because there are laws that oppress the widows and fatherless children, foreigners in a land, and poor people. And then it says, do not plot evil against each other. Not saying that as a separate statement, not saying like, and also don't go around plotting evil. No, saying to oppress those people, to follow law, and that means law like in the books, you know, local custom, your own personal attitude. Don't follow any rule or, or, or impulse that would do that because that's evil. That is not only evil, that is plotting evil. Like that's planning to do evil. That's what those laws are doing. They are, they are, they are evil written down. Uh, and mercy and compassion should be the first law. That's true justice. Uh, it's about justice, about fairness, compassion. Uh, and it's a call to action. Again, Mike is not about platitudes in these books. Mike is not about bland quotes. Mike is about calling to action uh, the, the readers. It's saying that, that, that true, if you're a Christian, Mike is saying that true Christianity is not about belief. Uh, although, you, I guess you do have to believe in Jesus to be a Christian. But it's not, that's not the be-all, end-all. It's not where it ends. <clears throat> it's about being a member of a community. And it's about putting your words into action. And putting those beliefs into action. These are gifts of the Spirit. And a truly generous and compassionate person shares their gifts. Gifts are something that you receive, and they are also something you give. And a gift of the Spirit, fairness, true justice, is a gift to give. Administer true justice in your daily life. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. I am a little congested, and that's weird. Um, now, let's talk about the phrase, fair is fair. Uh, fair is fair is a... <laughs> English phrase, meaning that fairness, the concept of fairness, fair is an absolute. I assume, I guess that's what it's saying. There, fairness is not, is nothing that you can, you can't waffle on fairness. Uh, you can't say this is more or less fair. Something is either fair or it's not. True justice is fair. True justice is compassionate. True justice is merciful. Fairness is compassionate and merciful. Right? Okay, if you're with me, if you're with me. Uh, fair is fair in the context of Zechariah 7-9. Goes right along with it. Rendering true judgments, showing kindness and mercy to each other, treat each other with fairness and justice as we would want to be treated ourselves. You can also see fair is fair as fair is as fair does. Do unto others, the golden rule. We covered that in many books ago. Uh, so fairness isn't just a moral obligation, but a divine commandment. So if you were a believer and you're reading this book, you were reminded, if you look into the quote a little bit, that fair is fair isn't just a good playground rule. Fair is fair, you're told to be fair. You're told to be compassionate. You're told to be merciful. Uh, and because this comes in a, in, a, in a book of prophecy that is echoed throughout the Gospels, uh, the books of Acts, the letters of Paul, all the books of the New Testament, the reverberations of this prophecy carry forward. The reverberations of all these words must carry forward. Uh, true justice, mercy, compassion, widows, fatherless, foreigners, the poor. Uh, when we treat each other with fairness and respect, we are fulfilling God's expectations and living according to his will. So, words into actions. 
call to action, fairness, true justice. Why did I wait until after I read the book or explained the book to bring this up? Because it would seem that fair is fair is referring to too small. And to an extent it is. Too small, you've got to be fair. If you want to be treated fairly, if you want people to stick around, you've got to treat others fairly. You've got to be compassionate, <laughs> merciful, I guess. Don't sweep them up in a pillar of fire. Uh, now you gotta be, you've got to be compassionate. You've got to practice compassion. People will practice compassion back to you. That's what it seems like. Fair is fair. But the full context, administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not plot evil. To me, if you, if you read the book through that lens, you are given a book about brother and sister's actions toward too tall and too small. The true justice, the administering of justice, has nothing to do with too small's actions. Too small is, a, is barely out of toddlerhood. Too small, even by the strictest standards of the most fundamentalist religious practices, too small is without flaw. Too small is without, I mean, I, I would hesitate to say without sin, because that depends on, you know, where you consider the origin of sin if you're one of those people. But too small is basically an innocent. Too tall is not. You can't administer justice on too small. And too small cannot administer justice. Too small can only learn what has been taught and can only show mercy and compassion when he's shown mercy and compassion. Therefore, he is, he is blameless, a holy creature. Brother and sister, however, being the goody two-shoes that too tall knows and loves, brother and sister are capable of showing mercy and compassion to both too tall and too small. But they address too tall. First of all, he stops them. But they're not going to talk to too small until they're given permission to. Because they're not going to, they're not, they don't need to bring, he's done nothing wrong. But too tall has. Too tall has introduced this, this, this flawed creature into, into their world. Into their, their idyllic landscape, let's just say. And they don't deserve that. But instead of getting mad at too tall, and they do get mad. I mean, you can't help your initial impulses. They do get mad. But instead of being mad at too tall, instead of acting on madness, <laughs> I mean, not like madness, but like anger, they decide to show mercy and compassion to the person who needs to learn a lesson. They administer true justice and decide to use this as a teaching opportunity. They don't punish too tall. They don't punish too small. They instead say, what can we do to help? Well, Tutal actually says, can you help me? He has done something wrong. He realizes without saying it that he is at fault here. Say he stole something from the store, okay? A candy bar. And he gets caught doing it. Now, you would think the true justice would be, this child has stolen something. We need to punish them. You're grounded. You're going to be given a stern talking to by the chief of police. Uh, you're going to have to, I don't know, like, I don't know. You're going to be punished. Mercy and compassion would say, this is a child who stole a candy bar. How can we help you? What, what have you done wrong? How can we help you see that what you've done is wrong and atone for that? Uh, we don't need to hurt you. We don't need to compound humiliation on you. What we need to do is, is, is show you the error of your ways if you are open to receiving that lesson. If this was too small who stole a candy bar, you would just be like, this is wrong. Go give it back. This is wrong. Lesson learned. This child doesn't really understand right and wrong yet. You've got to teach them by showing them. You can be disappointed in them. You're not going to like hit them or anything. Like, that would be ridiculous. It would be ridiculous to hit anybody for stealing a candy bar. 
uh, whether they are a widow, a fatherless, a foreigner, or they're poor. If a poor person steals a candy bar from a store, you know what you do? If you see that happen, you look the other way. Why? Because they probably could use a candy bar. That's why. Off my soapbox again. In any case, even if it's your store, come on, it's a candy. In any case, give them a candy bar. In any case. The reason I read this through the lens of Zechariah 7-9 is because when read through that lens, you see it as a book about the lesson of administering compassionate justice. The Cubs are administering compassionate justice on Tootal. And I think if you read this book with your children, that is an important thing to discuss. Not just let's learn how to be good on the playground, because that's not what the book is about so, so much. The Cubs are being fair. Fair is fair. The Cubs would want to be treated this way if they had wronged someone, if they had done so, and they have. It's what they've learned from their parents. Mama and Papa may yell sometimes. They may stamp around. Papa may slam his fist on the table, although he hasn't done that in a while. But in the end, the parents know that when the Cubs misbehave, that's a learning opportunity and a teaching opportunity for everyone. And the Cubs have learned that from their parents who practice what they preach and are now using it in a social context within their community. Member, these are members of their extended family, as we learned in the last book, who they love, as we learned in the last book, who they care about, as we learned in the first book, and who they share things with, as we learned in one of the other books, the second book. They give people the they give people the room to make mistakes. They share their gifts with them because they love them. Because they are all members of their community, and they're all members of the same family. The Berenstain Bears. Gifts of the Spirit, Fair is Fair. Choice little book. Pick it up. I really like it. It's a fun one. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, I will be covering the rest of Gifts of the Spirit, a sap. And, uh, so, you know, as soon as it's, you know, time to talk about them. Uh, not not before, because that would be weird. But uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for joining me. You can find me on Facebook at Deep in Bear Country. You can find me on Twitter at BeStainBearCast. Uh, you can find me on YouTube at Phil Gonzalez. It's Phil. That's what my little picture says. Uh, where I post episodes. I, I've been posting these episodes. I've been posting episodes of my other shows. Uh, clips. So you can sort of dip in and see what the chatter is like. Uh, Pizza Toast is coming to an end with the Hunger Games. Who knows what we'll be doing after that. Uh, we'll be coming out with more It's Del Toro times. So if you want to listen to those, we cover some spooky stories. I think we got Faulkner coming up next. It's not too spooky, but it's... It's Faulkner. It's interesting. Uh, otherwise, I'll be back next time with more Gifts of the Spirit. Keep on listening, and I'll see you all next time deep in bear country.